When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome to it. It's a hump day Wednesday edition of Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery halfway to another game day. Well, that is for those of you out there listening that have finished up with your workday. My workday only just beginning here as we got a full two hours of Hale Varsity Radio coming your way today. But if you're lucky enough to be getting off work at four, maybe five, enjoy that. You are now halfway through your work week, over halfway through your work week, and uh, halfway to another game day. Nebraska taking on North Dakota 2.30 on Saturday. We're going to get into that a little bit more today as Northwestern is in the rearview mirror. We had comments from uh, both your coordinators, both sides of the ball, Eric Chenander and Mark Whipple meeting with the media today. We'll get into that here in just a second, but I am uh, blessed with the presence of Connor Clark with me in studio today. As uh, excited for Connor to, to make it here from Anderson Hall yesterday, but uh, making it in studio today. You can find him and follow him on Twitter at C underscore Clark underscore 27 is where you find Connor. He's I mean, the best young, hot prospect around for play-by-play work. <laughs> He's your guy. You hear him uh, locally for our local listeners on ESPN Lincoln doing Salt Dogs broadcast. And you also hear him doing high school football, basketball broadcasts all across the state. And uh, you hear him here on Hale Varsity Radio. And his workload is going to up here in the next couple of days. Connor, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Elijah? I appreciate that that high praise. It's been, a, it's been an interesting one. Um, yeah. And I, I don't want to divulge too much from, uh, from Schmitty, but he has come under the weather uh, during his uh, his jet lag trip or jet lag recovery day uh, from Ireland. So uh, unsure when we'll be hearing from Schmitty again. We're going to see when the old vocal cords are feeling up to coming on and, and doing a show. But uh, Chris is out today. We will see about tomorrow. But I, I do believe he's planning on being back in on Friday. So as I said, our workload is up, but it's something we've been preparing for. We've been ready our whole lives for this as uh, we have a fun show planned today. Mike Babcock, uh, he's already in the green room. I see him down there. Uh, he's coming on with us at 425. We love talking with Babbers. I uh, can get some insight from him. And uh, he's coming up at 425. We'll go to the golf course at 440. Uh, that is about 30 minutes away as Mike Schuhart's going to be joining us, going to get his reaction uh, to not only the Huskers falling this weekend, but uh, also Rory McIlroy and uh, a couple new faces also announcing they're going off to live. So uh, plenty to talk about with uh, Shuey in terms of golf and Huskers. Leading off next hour, we're going to have Evan Bland of the Omaha World Herald, a 5.05 appearance for Evan. Excited to sit down with him and uh, discuss what we know about this North Dakota team, which... I hate to admit it, um, the answer is truthfully not much, especially whenever you're looking at a team like Northwestern last week where it's game one, you're going, okay, what does this team bring? 
Uh, with Northwestern, the answer was, well, we should have known. Boring Big Ten football, they're going to grind it out, and uh, they did just that on Saturday. With North Dakota, it's a team that hasn't found much success, but uh, it's a team that's been together for a little bit. So we're going to talk with Evan about that and about uh, what the Huskers can do to fix some of their issues in Week 1. And then to cap things off, a Jock Doc segment uh, coming up at about 5.40 as we're going to catch up with Dr. Brandon Seifert and talk uh, Brian Robinson um, and... <laughs> I'll say it here selfishly my fantasy draft is coming up on Sunday and I got to know if, uh, if that's a guy that should be in my do not draft list I don't know all that much about gunshot wounds the last guy I can think of that had to come back from a gunshot wound in the NFL was Plaxico Burris that's the the one that stands off the top of my head if you remember that whole incident in a New York nightclub uh, with a, an unlicensed firearm shooting himself in the leg and it wasn't the recovery that kept him off the field it was the jail time so uh, we'll, we'll see what Dr. Brandon has to say about Brian Robinson and his odds for a return this season. Bless you, Connor. Uh, but uh, where I want to start this off is uh, before we get to thoughts from Eric Shenander, an article uh, from Saturday Down South quoting uh, host Dan Patrick, who uh, went on his show this morning and said that sources told him that Nebraska and Arizona State are schools that could be on to something and uh, we should keep an eye on with the likes of Urban Meyer. I don't know. I don't know about that. That's just kind of a, a weird situation. And we all know how it worked out in Jacksonville. Granted, that's the NFL. And, you know, Urban had tons of success at Ohio State. But I, we just got over this Northwestern loss. I'm just focused on North Dakota. I don't know what to make of that, really. I haven't looked too much into it regardless today as well. But I, I'm just, just I'm weird. Just, I'm just throwing it out there as something that was going around. And Urban Meyer has been a popular name in Husker circles over the past week. And I personally think it's a terrible, terrible idea uh, to bring Urban Meyer and all the baggage that he brings. Yeah. Not only with issues at former schools to potential health issues on the sideline, which are only health issues whenever he's not enjoying the place that he is at to, to incidents at the sports bar and grill around the bar that I captured. There's just so much baggage with urban Meyer. Let's just throw that on the table of why I think it's a bad idea, but also let's get the direct quote from Dan Patrick. Let's just say this is dreamlike and, and they have an opening soon. Dan Patrick said of both Nebraska and Arizona state, which okay easy for you to say those are, are two schools with probably the two hottest seats in the country in Nebraska and Arizona State okay you're not saying much there let's say Nebraska could be in play for Urban Meyer maybe hypothetically the least convincing way you can say well I, I think Urban Meyer in Nebraska makes a lot of sense okay who is your source man if that's the, the least confident source I've ever heard maybe hypothetically Nebraska could be in play okay maybe hypothetically Nebraska could be in play for Nick Saban next offseason too or the national championship come January. Yeah, Who knows? Maybe hypothetically is the least trustworthy source I have ever heard in my life. And let's just, I'm just going to, wanted to throw this out there and I wanted to, to squash this before it becomes too much. I could say that I have a source that maybe hypothetically says that Tom Osborne is coming back for another season next year to lead Nebraska back to glory. Like this is just so ridiculous to, to put it out there, especially right now when you have two schools that still last I checked have coaches that are still working their job right now. And I know that the hot seat talk is is heating up and Dan Patrick wants an interesting radio segment. I get it. I've been there. You, you want to have that interesting radio segment. <laughs> you want the people at home to say, wow, this is a great segment. But this is ridiculous to be throwing out there right now, especially whenever Urban Meyer has a pretty good gig doing Big Noon Kickoff. We don't know if he wants to get back into football. And is Nebraska going to be a top of mind spot for him? Look at the places that he's gone. 
I know Utah's not a recruiting hotbed, but this was that's where he got his start, and it's right next to California. And then he goes off to Florida, a place with a recruiting hotbed where you can go in and find success. And then he goes off to Ohio State, another place, uh, the Ohio River Valley, great recruiting spot for football. It's where football, the professional football itself, was born. Great hit, tradition of football there, and there's always great football players coming out of Ohio. Do I expect that Urban Meyer is going to be a guy that's going to go, you know what, Nebraska? Sounds like the spot for me. It, it, this is ridiculous to be throwing out there right now, first of all. And second of all, it's all just hearsay. This is just uh, this is just a radio host going out there and throwing it out because, well, Arizona State and Nebraska have two hot seats. So let's throw out the Urban Meyer name because you know it's going to be out there. Not only would I say, uh, would this be a bad move for Urban Meyer, be a bad move for Nebraska. And I, I think Trev Alberts, should there come a point where uh, there is going to be a coaching change being made. And I, I've said it earlier on the show this week that I do think the talk, the clock is ticking, I should say. But it's way too early for this. Scott Frost still has three huge games ahead of him uh, that he is trying to prove that he's the right man for the job. And I, I'm not going to count him out just yet. While I do think the clock is ticking based on what we've seen in results, he needs a, a big turnaround from not only the week one performance, but from the past four seasons. And uh, we'll see whether he can do it or not. This is premature to be saying, well, Nebraska, maybe they're, they're, they're looking at that. I, I threw out a name on Twitter this weekend, but that was just simply a reactionary. I, I threw out Bill O'Brien as a name. And I didn't say maybe hypothetically Nebraska could be looking there. I just threw out a name of a guy, that a, a coach that I think fits the criteria and I like. And if Dan Patrick were to say that, if he were to go on the air and say, you know what, Nebraska and Urban Meyer, it makes a lot of sense in, in my mind. And, and we'll see if that that comes to fruition I think they should go after him that's one thing to say it's another thing to say I have a source that says maybe hypothetically Nebraska could go after that because that's zero confidence whatsoever in your source a and b it's just stirring up something just to stir something up yeah you mentioned it's an interesting headline for somebody to go look at and say oh I want to hear what this is about now you mentioned it there's three enormous games for Scott Frost left before we get back into conference play here and I kind of thought about this earlier today when it comes to Scott Frost how much time he has left with Nebraska if it will come to an end sooner rather than later or if he can salvage the season the season and ironically and I'm sure he didn't come up with this quote but it's a coach that I've heard say this a lot is Pat Fitzgerald and he says well there's a reason why the rearview mirror is so small and the windshield is so big and I think mm. that's mm. what Nebraska needs to do here because yes they lost to Northwestern I don't think they lost to Northwestern as badly as they lost to Illinois a season ago yep. there's some things that can be cleaned up that's what these next two games can be used for I said it yesterday on the show they're very important lessons coming up for Nebraska as well because you're pretty confident that they're going to beat both North Dakota and Georgia Southern and then you head into that Oklahoma game and Maybe Nebraska beats them, or maybe they make it close. As long as you don't get run out of the building by Oklahoma, I think that's a good thing for Scott Frost. Now, if you lose in excruciating one-score fashion once again, then well, that's a different story. But if you make a close-slash-win against Oklahoma, that gives Scott a little bit more time. But again, these next two games before even the Oklahoma game are going to be huge. And I mean, Urban Meyer, I agree with you. I don't think it would be good for him. I don't think it would be good for Nebraska. I think we should just kind of squash that before it even gets started. And, and for as disappointing as that game was on Saturday, there, there was still progress in a way. And 
some poor coaching decisions uh, from not getting enough rotation on your defense through a game uh, to the onside kick, which we've hit ad nauseum. I don't want to hit that anymore. There's some mistakes there, which I think are an indictment of the coaching staff as of right now, but there's time to fix those issues, A. And B, look at the difference in close losses last year to the one close loss this year. Last year was close losses playing from behind. You salvaged it in the fourth quarter, and you still couldn't get it done. At least against Northwestern, it was from the front. And I know that's disappointing and disheartening to Husker fans, but you did have an 11-point uh, lead on this Northwestern team twice. There, there, there's progress being made there, and while it still ended in a loss, uh, I think that does give you some encouragement moving forward that, you know what, if they can clean some things up, you, maybe you can hold on to that lead late. Yeah, and I do want to say one more thing, too. With that onside kick, now it's not the reason why Nebraska lost, but you have an 11-point lead after that score you go in and kick the onside kick. You know your defense has been struggling all game long, and you don't even give them really a chance to try and stop Northwestern because if you kick that ball deep, maybe it's a touchback, they start at the 25, that's still a long field for Northwestern to go. You don't give your defense a chance to seize momentum on their side of the ball, and that's why I think the onside kick was such a big issue. Yeah, and uh, here I said, uh, leading off the show, well, Northwestern's in the rearview mirror. We're going to look ahead to, to Georgia yeah, Southern, seriously. and here we are talking about Northwestern again. It was it was a painful one for Husker fans and uh, for me to talk about just uh, all alike. But let's get to the phone lines here as we have a call coming in, and you can call the show 402-466-3776. We go to the phone lines now, and Will, Will, you're on with Hale Varsity Radio. What, what do you got for us today? Hey, guys. you got to remember, we were, what, 13-point favorites against Northwestern, and we lost. And then when uh, he was saying that, well, if we keep it close against Oklahoma, that'll help give Scott a little more time. No, you got to beat Oklahoma to give Scott more time. These are games that are very winnable. We should have beat Northwestern. We know how that outcome was. But I lived through the 90s. We never said, well, if we keep it close. We just went out and won. It's not, it's not keep it close. That's not Nebraska football. But it's also not the 1990s anymore, Will. Let me just post this back to you. It's not the 1990s anymore. You know you're still in a rebuild, and I know the rebuild isn't where people would like it to be right now. But in the scheme of this season, close against Oklahoma, I'm agreeing with you, is going to be disappointing. It's not what you want. But I don't think it's a, it's a fireable offense for Scott Frost to, to lose to a good Oklahoma team, with a good head coach. And you're not 100% sure what they bring this season. So maybe this is a, a better topic for two weeks from now whenever you're pregaming Oklahoma when you know uh, what this Oklahoma team actually looks like they're going to be this season. But you got to keep in mind that there is a, a natural progression to a, to a rebuild. And uh, while losses are disappointing, you you never thought that this was going to be the 10-2 and two or 11-1 season. The, the natural progression is make oh. it to a bowl game and show progress, right? Yeah, yeah, but no, 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 no. Wrong thinking attitude, in my opinion. I, I appreciate everything you do. But you got to remember... I'm, I'm a Solich fan. I was a true Bo Pelini fan. Yeah, I know how he acted on the sideline. But he went 9-3 and three and still got fired. Frost is in his fourth mm-hmm. season and only three wins. He has 49 losses. Uh, you realize Osborne only had 49 losses through his whole career? I, I did, yeah, but I'll just throw it back to you one more time, But and we'll get you out of here. We're up against a hard break here, but... Okay. Well, I think that the, the expectations for Nebraska football as a whole should be higher than even people around here in, in national media say. When you look at the influence of what NIL can do for your program, 
seven and five should never be the expectation around here. And I'm with you on that. But you also have to take a step back and look at where Nebraska football has been and where they're trying to go. And you got to understand that success is progression. And if if Scott Frost is still here at Nebraska three years from now and he's going seven and five, not even close to okay and acceptable. But you're still in a rebuild and you still haven't seen a bowl game. So while but, while seven and five would be, I think, disappointing for Nebraska as a whole, it's still a win on the season. But our schedule is set up to be seven seven wins. Georgia Southern, North Dakota, Northwestern should have been a win. I'm nervous about Illinois now after what they did to Wyoming. That's um, a fair point. You know, Rutgers. It's not. There's. I'm. We're going to be lucky to have four wins this year. I think. Well, you, the, what you got to do is take it game by game. I think, and I do, that's why I'm, I don't want to overlook. I li- I lived through the '80s with uh, you know with Turner Gill, Mike Rogier, and Durbin Fryer and Remington and that whole group. I lived through that. I lived through the '90s when we got our championships. But we're we're not the laughing stock of the country anymore. We're just forgot about in the country. I think. I, I think we're they the don't need... we're the pity of the country. And I, I I hesitate to say we, but I'm just going to rephrase you. Yeah. It's the pity, and that hurts. Yeah. Yep. I appreciate your job you guys doing that afternoon. I really enjoy listening to you. I listen to you every day. So. You guys have a good afternoon. We'll appreciate you. Thanks, thanks for the thanks for the thoughts today. And remember, you can give us a call 402-466-3776. We do this show for you. We'd love to get your thoughts. Uh, we'd love to hit the talking points that you want us to hit. So give us a call. Leave us a review uh, wherever you do that. The reviews are what pay the bills. We'll uh, we'll rephrase this uh, this whole conversation with Mike Babcock, uh, Husker historian. He's with us after the break here on Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Hello, listener. Hey, it's Chris Schmidt with Hale Varsity Radio, and I wanted to let you know about a special deal just for listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast. We're offering $10 off the annual subscription price. That means that you can get everything we do. 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe and enter in the promo code GBR for 10 dollars off a full year of Hail Varsity. That's hailvarsity.com backslash subscribe promo code GBR. This segment is presented by Union Bank and Trust. And we're back. Fellas, you think we could listen to the radio? On Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Rolling through a Wednesday edition of Hale Varsity Radio, we are presented by the Nebraska Lottery, Elijah Herbal and Connor Clark in today for Chris Schmidt, who is uh, recovering, and we uh, we wish him well as uh, a little bit under the weather right now, but uh, Schmidt should be back with us a little bit later this week, and uh, we thank Will for his phone call back in the first segment. That was uh, good stuff from Will, and that's where I'm going to start it off, Mike. I know you were down in the green room. And uh, I know that you were listening to that phone call from Mike. So I want to get into that that topic of expectations versus reality, where, yes, expectations, the money that's coming into the program for Nebraska, not only from fans and boosters, but now uh, soon to be from a, a big TV media rights deal from the Big Ten. Combine that with the NIL factor to get recruits here. And uh, I, I think there's a, an overplayed media narrative that Nebraska is a hard place to go recruit and, and win to. It's not as easy as some of those Alabamas and Ohio States of the world, but it's still top 20 in terms of draw for recruits. So there's that expectation that Nebraska should be in the 10-2, and 11-1 range just about year in, year out. But then you get to the reality of where the program's at right now under Scott Frost. And I just want to, to, to rehash that, that, that talking point with you, the fact that Nebraska 
more than likely, if I look at it right now, it's probably going to be two and two exiting their 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 first four games of the season. And it's weird whenever you start off with Big Ten, but I'll call it the non-conference slate. You're probably going to be two and two after those first four games. Um, and I don't want to chalk down some inferior competition as wins right now because we all know with what Nebraska's looked like in the past four years, those are not, those are not even close to guaranteed. Um, but Oklahoma is, is a, a solid program. They've been solid for years now, despite the fact they have a, a new coaching staff coming in. I still think you like where Oklahoma's at right now when compared to Nebraska. So what do you make of the, the disconnect between the expectations at Nebraska and, and the reality of where the program's at right now? Um, you know, uh, one thing you have to consider is that Oklahoma had a slide, too. I mean, mm-hmm. there was a time there, Nebraska uh, in the uh, uh, 90s, late 90s, beat Oklahoma back-to-back. Nebraska had 69 one game and 73 another uh, against Oklahoma, and Oklahoma went through a period not probably as – well, a good point that was made by, by Will um, – you consider that Bo Pelini always won at least nine games and played in a bowl game. Um, so really the, the situation that we have right now is, you know, Mike Riley's what three seasons and Scott Frost's four going into his fifth, um, trying to get out of that. Um, and, and I know that Bo's teams weren't consistently in the, in the national conversation. They weren't always in the, top 10 ranking, you know, that's kind of where people expect things to be. And I don't think that Nebraska will ever get back to that point where it's like every season you're going to look at the Huskers and say they're going to be in that top 10 and they're going to be competing for the national championship. But I think that you you can get back to a situation where you're competitive, where you can uh, be a, uh, maybe win the Big Ten, um, get into the playoffs maybe once, every three or four seasons or whatever, you can be in that position. Um, but the thing that has to happen is you've got to get in the, you've got to have that mindset. Now it's easy to talk about having the mindset, but you know, there's just a fine line between going out on that field and really believing that you're going to win, which is the way it was under Osborne. Those teams, they always felt like when they went on the field, they were going to win. And I don't know that this, this program is to that point right now guys talk about it they think that they're going to win but they're not convinced of it and i really felt like the northwestern game was critical a first step going into a couple of games that you would think that they're going to win you said they'll probably be two and two now um so they beat oklahoma who's that other what's that other law no i'm just kidding um should beat north dakota should beat georgia southern um, had you had the Northwestern energy and confidence or whatever, then maybe you're going out on the field against Oklahoma and you're really thinking, we're going to win. We're going to win the game. Now, whether you do or not is not the point. It's the belief. And that's where I think Nebraska has to get. And that's the problem. It, you know, subconsciously, it's like, here we go again, mm. the kind of a thing. Mm. And, uh, you know, the other thing is the Northwestern game, uh, Mark Whipple today said that he was more encouraged than he was discouraged by the offense. And I think that if you look at it, one thing, it's very small thing, but I thought it was significant. Nebraska only had one penalty in that game, a defensive penalty offsides on Ty Robinson, one penalty. And you look at the problems that Nebraska had last season where 
it was at critical times that Nebraska would have a, 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 a draw penalty, self-destruct or whatever. That was a big that was a big thing. The other thing that I thought was big was the fumble in the second uh, in the second quarter early on, uh, where the referees ruled that uh, uh, Garcia Castaneda's knee was not down. Um, think if that had been ruled the other way, uh, Nebraska is at the 11 yard line, probably goes in. It changes the dynamic of the game, and again, it changes that mindset. So. That's where I, I, I know I'm rambling, but it's that mindset really believing when you go on that field, we're going to win. Mike Babcock's with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And Mike, is there a way that Frost can buy himself more time as the head coach of Nebraska football? Or is he just kind of facing the music waiting until that October buyout period happens? Is there anything that he can do to really solidify himself for the rest of the season? Well, obviously win. I'll, I'll start off and say Whoa. winning. Not, not, to, not to jump ahead of you, Mike, but winning is huge. But I, I, I get the heart of your point, or the heart of your question, Connor. I, I just think that the uh, – no, no, Scott is not. Scott is not – that's not in his head at all. I mean, he's a competitor. We saw what happened when he, when he led the Huskers to a national championship in 97. Um, he went through some things, you know, the, the Central Florida game, we, we've probably talked about this, but ironically, um, Osborne always had a predetermined, the backup quarterback comes in the first half and gets a series um, just for experience. And so Frankie London came in, uh, replaced Scott Frost. He leads the Huskers to a touchdown. And then on the next series, as was the plan, Scott comes back in the game because the backup got his one series and, and, and experience and the fans start booing. They're booing because Frankie London led them down to a touchdown. <laughs> Scott Frost played through that. There were things, you know, the fact that he went to Stanford initially rather than Nebraska. There were Husker fans that were down on him for doing those kind of things. He battled through that. No, Scott, I don't, Scott Frost doesn't give up. He, he won't. And the, one of the things I think is that they've kind of circled the wagons. You know, we had, we had three players talk yesterday at the, at the weekly news conference. No players today. Um, so there will be no players before the game uh, against North Dakota. Um, you know, it's kind of all in-house sort of a thing. But, uh, you know, Scott will, will not back off. And I don't think that, that you know, as, as a fan base, uh, people ought to be looking at it as, well, when we get to October, then that's what's going to be decided. I, you know, he's going to prepare this team and they're going to play hard. And he's going to try to come back from that. Uh, Northwestern loss and get something going, whether it's a loss to Oklahoma. Um, you you can beat Indiana. I, you know, I, I don't think there are games uh, on the schedule to, uh, after the Oklahoma game. You've got some conference games where you have an opportunity where the Huskers can win those games. Now, Illinois and, and uh, you mentioned earlier, Illinois and Wyoming, that, that uh, makes you wonder a little bit, but you can get the job done. That Game is here, right? Illinois is here. Minnesota's here. Mm-hmm. You got to go to Purdue. That's a tough one. You got to go to Rutgers. That's just a weird one on Friday night. Trap game. Um, but you can you can do those things. Indiana is here. You can win those games. So you still got to believe. And the coordinators today uh, gave every indication that uh, you know they had the the belief that this team can get things back together. Um, Shenander said that it wasn't up to their standard and they were going to fix it. And he took responsibility for that. 
you know, Caleb Tanner yesterday was just, you know, it's all on me. I'm taking responsibility. You've got to have that attitude. I think they do. So even though I think they needed to win that Northwestern game, they didn't win it. Okay. Rearview mirror. You talked about that. Let's look at, put it in, put it aside. The focus has to be on North Dakota now. Can't even be on Oklahoma down the line. It has to be on North Dakota. Yeah, there, there, then, there's there's no gimmies, Mike, with, with that. I mean, North Dakota and Georgia Southern, both of them respectable. Uh, we've heard the coaches say a couple times this week, North Dakota played a lot of teams tight last season, and uh, Scott Frost made the joke about that. But it's a simple fact yeah. of the matter that, that though they couldn't get it done, this is still a competitive football team that was probably better than the record would indicate last season. Then you also have Georgia Southern, who – let's not forget, it is led by a high-level coach in, in Clay Helton. Yeah. Whether or not he had the success at USC doesn't matter. He still got himself a gig at USC and is well-respected in the industry. So th- these two games here aren't layups. And, and I want to pose the question to you here before we get out. Is it more important that, that, that Nebraska's offensive line, I mean, that's where I think of the, the shortcomings with was offensive line and defensive line. And obviously you want both of them to improve, but... Is it more important that Nebraska establish running games uh, against these quote-unquote lower-level teams, or do you think the defense needs to step up and and show what was expected of them in, in preseason in order to give this offense a little bit more time to gel? Because we saw the offense. There was encouragement, but it definitely looks like they, they still need some more time to, to, to work together and, and, as I said before, gel. Yeah, you've got to establish a running game. You've got to establish that. and Here's an opportunity in these two games to do that. And defensively, um, you, you know, you've got to, again, what Shenander said, it wasn't up to our standard. They, you know, you've got to get some pressure on the opposing quarterback and you've got to be able to stop the run. That's an important part of it. Um, and, and I think all these things are things that you can work on in, in a game against North Dakota. Again, taking nothing for granted. Um, and the offensive line, I thought, did a pretty good job of protecting the passer. It's the running game where you've got to get – got to get things going because again you've got to be physical i thought northwestern was more physical than nebraska at times and in the second half i thought northwestern made some adjustments that nebraska did not make adjustments and i think that was to me that was the the difference in the game mike last thought here about 30 seconds if nebraska does get the job done on saturday who does it need to come down to i mean you talk about the offense needing to establish the runner are you going with a guy like anthony grant uh, yeah, I think I think he's uh, I think he's shown that he can he can be the guy that they can rely on. But they, again, they want to use multiple guys. But you've got to have one guy step up. I think he's the guy that potentially can do that. And uh, uh, boy, I just think they have a ton of outstanding receivers um, when they're, when they're all healthy and and ready to go. So um, I think there's a reason for optimism with the offense. Uh, the defense needs to play better. I thought that was going to be the strength. Um, given those two things, there's reason to be uh, optimistic to a degree. Um, looking at the schedule, it's still set up for Nebraska with good home games and and uh, the potential if they can just get some kind of mindset established. There's Mike Babcock with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. Mike, appreciate your time today. We'll uh, get caught up next week. All right, bud? Thanks, guys.
There's nothing better than enjoying some sun with a drink and hot dog in hand, taking in America's pastime. Whether you're here for the baseball or the entertainment that comes with it, Werner Park is the place to be. The Omaha Storm Chasers have a handful of home games remaining, so get your tickets before it's too late. Give yourself something to look forward to as the summer winds down. Don't miss this opportunity to make lifelong memories with family and friends. And now, and now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back in here on a Wednesday edition of Hale Varsity Radio, we are presented by the Nebraska Lottery and uh, good stuff there from Mike Babcock. A couple seconds late, so apologies to uh, our listeners out across the state that maybe had the last couple seconds of Mike cut off. Apologies for that, but I'm professional in here getting things back into our uh, perfect timing as we do. So uh, we're going to continue rolling through here on a Wednesday. It's time for us to head out to the golf course Wilderness Ridge to be specific, where we check in with uh, golf pro Mike Shuhart. And we got tons to get in here with Mike. But Mike, how are you doing on a Wednesday? Still beautiful golfing weather. And uh, I mean... The greens, from what I've seen, from wilderness to look like they're they're beautiful despite the lack of rain. How are you doing today? We're doing good. Yeah, we're still hot and heavy in the golf season, man. It's 90 degrees out and uh, perfect golf weather. Well, Mike, uh, before we get to some Husker football thoughts, because, you know, we got to go there. This is a Husker football talk show. Uh, Let's get to the Tour Championship over the weekend. A huge performance from Rory McIlroy as he was 21 under on the weekend, uh, taking home the crown over East Lake Golf Course. Your reaction uh, to Rory's performance this weekend and uh, what he put together? Yeah, pretty impressive. I mean, he's had an amazing, impressive season. you know, he's come close a bunch of times. Couldn't quite get the major, but uh, ended really strong at the end of the year and basically won the big prize, $18 million. So uh, that'll get somebody excited about playing golf. Well, $18 million's, uh nothing compared to what Liv is putting out there and uh, got to get there as well as Liv Golf is, is taking away competition from Rory. Uh, five guys, I believe, heading off to the Liv Golf Tour, including number two in the world, Cam Smith. Uh, the money from uh, the PGA side of things is just hard to match from Live Golf, and uh, by the day it feels like there's another huge, huge name going off to Live Golf, and it's been the story of the golf world. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's the amount of money that they're putting out there is hard for guys to turn down. I mean, it's just crazy amounts of money, um, and obviously guys are paying attention to it. I mean, I saw a stat. It's like 12 of the last 24 major winners are now on the live golf tour. So it's like, you know, money does talk, you know, when they put enough money out there, it's hard to, to not pay attention. And guys are, are obviously going for the money. So it's going to be very interesting coming down the next year or what's going to happen with that tour and where the players are and, and some of the eligibility these guys have for tournaments that, the PGA Tour is saying you're not going to be eligible to play in. So it's going to be a massive power struggle. And we talk so much, Mike, about uh, here with Nebraska football, the NCAA losing its control over college football as a whole. And whenever Live Golf was announced, I didn't think it was going to reach this point where the best and brightest in the game, uh, aside from a few top names, would be heading off to Live Golf. But now it feels like uh, Live, uh, their roster of guys is so much more stacked than the PGA. And do you feel that as well, that, that the PGA is starting to lose their, their grip on the game of golf as a whole? Uh, a little bit. I think they have enough 
power with some of the players that are still there. You know, Rory's a huge supporter of the PGA, you know, and Tiger and some of the guys that have a lot of clout. So that always helps immensely. But, man, the more you lose, I mean, I've, I'm very surprised that some of the names and the amount of names uh, that are going over to that tour, I mean, it's making people now stand up and take notice, that's for sure. Um, Mike here, before we get to Husker football, did you hear about this uh, this Q school story from uh, from here in Nebraska, the aspiring Corn Ferry Pro, who I, I think said that he had 36 aces in his career. Eight of them were on par fours and then uh, got into the Q school and ultimately got disqualified because uh, he was forging his scorecards. Did you hear this story? Oh, yeah. I think everybody in the golf world has heard this story, man. It's it's the hot topic right now. So, so like, walk us through it story. real quick. Can you, can you walk us through what the, the Q school is really and, and how this story came to be? Well, Q school is your ability to get onto the Corn Ferry Tour, which then is the ability to get onto the PGA Tour. So you have to go through different stages. Um, so this is what's called a pre-qualifier. So guys that have no status that are looking to become golf professional or, t- or touring professionals that really have no credentials behind them, uh, from a past, they need to go through this, get through this. That basically is telling people that they're they're qualified. They play well enough to be able to continue on. Um, then you go to a first stage, then there's a second stage, then there's a final stage. So it's just a, a massive process of elimination um, until you get, you know, your your top players that are finally in the finals that that get their Corn Ferry Tour status, which then they play for a year which allows them to get their PGA Tour status. So it's a long, grueling uh, competition. I've gone through many a times, so it's not much fun. But this guy is, you know, a guy that's had 39 hole-in-ones and nine of them on par fours. Mm-hmm. It's hard to fathom that somebody with that type of success has not been heard of. You know, it's like, I know golf. I I watch, listen, read about golf, and I've never heard of this guy before. You would think that somewhere along the line you would hear about a story about a guy that's making all these hole-in-ones on par fours and and par threes, but never heard of the guy. And then just the crazy mess of things that happened and, and you know, he hit balls into trees that all of a sudden are not in the trees anymore, and he's hitting it on the green, and he's holding shots that nobody else sees go in the hole. And, and then they eventually went out afterwards and found his exact golf ball with his exact markings. Still in, in, still the, in the penalty area. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden they're not. And his, his response to the whole thing is, like, I don't understand why I'm dis- being disqualified. I just hit my ball. Well, did you really hit your ball? You hit one of your balls. I don't know if it was the one that you were playing, but it was one that you had. You know, so it's just, I mean, it's crazy. It's it's. But, you know, I've seen and played a lot of golf, and I've seen crazy things happen. And he's not the first guy to do something like that. He won't be the last. You know, when you're, you're trying to strive to get to the tour, you'll, you'll do crazy things at times. Well, Mike, it was, uh, it was just pretty crazy to see a story like that coming out of Nebraska. If you haven't checked that story, uh, I think you can Google it. A Q school story for the ages should, uh, should pull it up. Go look it up. It's, it's a really interesting and pretty insane story. Uh, but, Mike, with about the last 
45 seconds we got left here. I need to get your reaction to Nebraska Northwestern on Saturday and maybe how Nebraska can get things turned around in your mind going into two games, which uh, should be wins for the Huskers. Don't want to put anything down in pin, but uh, talent-wise, you, you outclass these two teams. Yeah, no question. I mean, it was obviously disappointing that you lost, you know, but a couple things that were, I guess, positive and negative. I mean, the first half, the way the offense looked, that was pretty impressive to watch. I mean, it was fun to watch. I mean, they were smooth. Uh, they were in sync. I mean, it was really fun to watch, you know. The disappointing part was in the second half, how our defense played. I mean, we, we just got beat. I mean, that was a better team that we played. It was hard to believe. I mean, they, they, they looked in better condition. They looked stronger. Uh, they looked more disciplined. We looked gassed slow out of position so that was that was the disheartening thing about it you know it's like wow that that we didn't lose that game they beat us in that game well mike we're uh, we're up against it here uh if you need some golf lessons maybe go uh, play a quick 18 head out to wilderness ridge he's your man mike appreciate you taking the time today you bet thanks for having me on stay safe and now and now back to hail varsity radio Wrapping up hour one of Hail Varsity Radio here, it's Elijah Herbal and Connor Clark taking you through the show today. And as always, we are presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Schmitty getting a rest and recovery day as uh, both getting over some jet lag and a uh, sickness which has overcome Schmitty. So we wish him well if he's at home listening, Schmitty. Get off the radio, get in bed, take a nap, rest up, recover. Flip on some Peaky Blinders. There's got to be something good out there. Maybe the the new uh, season of House of the Dragon. Awesome show. A lot out there. Rest up. Relax, Schmitty. Uh, we, we got this handled. Where I want to go, Connor, with this uh, last segment we got here is let, let's dive a little further into this Q School story because I wasn't planning on going there with Mike, and then I realized, you know what, I kind of have to. Did you hear about this? No, and I'm very fascinated. I wish my golf scores were as good as that, and... How can you pull off that amount of cheating in golf without anybody noticing for that long? Because that in itself, I think, is impressive enough. And what was it, 39 hole-in-ones? I mean, how do you pull that off without anybody noticing? So, yeah, he, he says he's got 36 hole-in-ones in his entire career, eight of which came on par fours, and he says that he's hesitant to include a couple of those. They, uh, the The people who did this story actually called him up to get his version of events and said like, well, I don't want to count all eight of those because a couple of those happened during practice rounds where I didn't play a full 18. It didn't trying really to be count. humble, trying to be humble. Yeah. But uh, the, the playing group where it all went down, uh, I think it was either last Friday or two Fridays ago was uh, the offender, Matt Morose, along with Andrew knee and Grant Hafner. Uh, and all three were hovering around the cut line and unbeknownst to those three, uh, the officials that were on the course that day had a, a, a tight eye on Morose because the day before his playing partners had reported well, we didn't see anything fishy aside from the fact that he was playing the pretty much the first shot every single hole. He was getting up way ahead of us playing these holes, and we didn't actually really see how many shots he was taking. We can't confirm because there were times where he was up on the green and we were still making our approach shots, so we, we can't confirm everything. So the officials had a close eye on him, and then things got wacky on that Friday, which is the final round. Started out on the fifth hole where Moreau's hit his shot down the left side into the rough. Uh, and there was a tree in between him and the the green, which uh, if you know the fifth hole, it's Corey Oaks and Ashland. If you know that fifth hole, it's an uphill approach shot, and the, the pin was on the backside of the green, which means you can't see the pin whatsoever whenever you're playing up into the green. And he apparently hit a low stinger-type shot 
that landed 60 yards some somewhere give or take uh, according to the players he was with short of the hole and uh nobody thought it had any chance of even reaching the green um and then they get up to the hole and that guy first guy up there morose they get up there and he's celebrating with his caddy it's in the hole he's getting fist bumps all around and nobody could believe they're like well weird weird bounces happen in golf but this is weird and at this point they did not know that there were uh, officials watching morose on the day and then uh, another incident i believe at the ninth hole uh, another one at the 13th and long story short, we got to get out of here. He was disqualified for fabricating his scorecard after they found a ball, uh, which as, uh, Shuart was telling us was into the rough. And then he said, well, it, it came through this penalty area out of the trees, uh, and was in a, a spot where I could play it. So I'm going to play it. The golf officials went back and checked and they went and found his original golf ball still in the rough, uh, in the trees. And his defense was, well, that was from a, a practice round earlier this week where I lost a ball. That wasn't from today. Yeah. Okay, man. Sure. Likely story. Likely story. So he was disqualified and uh, just a, a wild story coming out of Ashland, Nebraska on the Q School. Uh, and uh, as Shuey was saying, it's made it its way around the world of wow. golf. That's yeah. crazy. It's a local story, too, which is even crazier. Yeah. Local story. And it sounds like this guy kind of plays golf courses all around. Not a Nebraska guy, Morose. But a uh, wild story. I promise we'll get back into Husker football after the break. Is uh, coming up leading off next hour, Evan Bland of the Omaha World Herald is going to take a look at North Dakota and the task Nebraska has at hand. That is next here on Hale Varsity Radio. Hey, it's Schmitty. Want to tell you about a fantastic opportunity to work for a rapidly growing company that also enjoys the benefits earned with having competitive, stable history of work over 20 years? FSC. The FSC Edge, it's a leading technology innovator serving governmental agencies. Expert services helping worldwide patent offices meet strict processing and publishing timelines while delivering exceptional quality. They support some of the world's largest patent offices throughout the U.S. and Europe. That includes the European Patent Office, the German Patent and Trademark Office, and the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. The only group of companies worldwide to provide such support to all three of these agencies. Working at FSC, you have a chance to work with fun people with great attitudes and learn about patents. You're not on the phone, you're not customer-facing, it's casual dress, and the work environment, it's a new environment with over $2 million in improvements. You have access to generous benefits packages, company support for health and wellness, and you do impactful work on a national scale. Make a difference. Their team's constantly growing, and they're always looking for new people to join their mission. Check out what's available today at jobs at fsc.com. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Back in, it's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Elijah Herbal and Connor Clark filling in today for Chris Schmidt, who's uh, got the day off, bit of a jet lag day for him, and sickness day too, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. But excited to welcome in Evan Bland from the Omaha World Herald. You can find him on Twitter at Evan Bland, O-W-H. And Evan, never a dull week uh, in season for the Huskers in, in this week is obviously uh, fitting that to a T. So how are you doing this week? You, you, you staying busy or, or just what's up with you? 
Yeah, hanging in. You know, I did not make the trip to Ireland, so it's been uh, interesting seeing everybody come back. No, uh, no jet know. lag for you, huh? <laughs> no, no. It was a quick trip from from my TV to to uh, to writing on Saturday. But uh, no, it, it's interesting to see everybody get back. It's it's. I'm excited for a home weekend and chance to lay eyes on this team and to uh, see how it goes in person. But um, you know, it, it's it's unfortunate in a lot of ways that the season got off to the kind of start that it did for uh, another year here when people are trying to get some momentum and, and build up some excitement for things. But, uh, you know, obviously 11 games at least still to go this season. And, you know, we'll see where it goes coming off a disappointing opener. Yeah, and uh, Evan, with the, uh, the the North Dakota team that's coming to town, it's not like they're a, a very well-known team around the country, even in terms of, of uh, national publications writing uh, previews for this North Dakota team. So as you look at this this team that Nebraska faces, uh, what are some question marks for you, at least from North Dakota, them playing in their first game of this season? I believe they have a, a returning quarterback, a lot of returning talent, and a team that's been together for a while, but they, they haven't gotten the job done thus far. So what are your questions, maybe some unknowns about what the Huskers face on Saturday? Well, the first thing that that I noticed and something that Scott Frost made light about a little bit uh, on Tuesday was the fact that they were in a bunch of close games last year too. I think they went five and six, but they were uh, either had the lead or had the chance to take the lead in all 11 games that they played. And, you know, Scott Frost sort of made the, the tongue in cheek comment that, you know, how, how can that happen? Right. Like who, who loses close games like that? Obviously poking fun at himself a little bit there, but uh, it's a team that, uh, you know, it looks like they'll have some uh, experience with their quarterback, Tommy Schuster, who's been through it a couple couple seasons now. Um, you know, you hear from some of the, the, the players and coaches this week who've done their scout. Um, you know, Eric Schnander felt like this was a group that can throw a lot of different things at you, and he had some experience playing or coaching against Northern, uh, I'm sorry, North Dakota uh, back when he was at Northern Iowa. Uh, earlier in his career and, and it's just you know I think the danger in games like these are for North Dakota and any FCS team that goes to the home of a well-known FBS school uh, this is their season like this is a huge game for them uh, right off the bat to sort of show who they are and what they can be uh, and so in that sense you have to be prepared for a little bit of everything whatever kind of trick plays or or different uh, sorts of of, of tricks that might be thrown at you so they have a a veteran quarterback in that regard that's helpful for them and then you know on the defensive side they lost quite a bit it sounds like uh you know they're starting um i suppose they're resetting a lot in their their front seven and you know they have a handful of players but (laughs) again it's it's a new season for them too not a lot of film on them uh they're traditionally uh, you know, a winning team at, at the FCS level. And again, typically these are games, and Nebraska's never lost to an FCS school. Um, and typically they, they will roll in these kind of games, and they probably need to do that um, this weekend coming off the loss that they had. But a number of unknowns, and I think as much as Nebraska sort of had the advantage last week with Northwestern and, and, the, and the Wildcats not knowing what to expect, I think uh, any edge North Dakota might have um, is paid back this week a little bit because you just don't know exactly what their offense is going to look like. And, and tell me, Evan, what do to, do you think the difference is between a hawk and a fighting hawk? It's a North Dakota fighting hawks, and like 
I don't know. I've never seen a, a fighting hawk, and I don't know the difference. So, in your own words, what do you think that difference is? <laughs> well, for you know, for what it's worth, they used to be the fighting Sioux, and they and they transitioned out of that a number of years ago. So, I imagine it's they're trying to keep their their fighting designation. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, there are the hawks out there. I, I always kind of thought that the fighting part was implied. Like in any mascot, like you're not just gonna roll over, right? You're gonna, you're gonna be fighting. So I, I thought that was implied. They they decided to go ahead and and make that extra clear. So if there was any doubt, these hawks, uh, you know, they're they're not complacent. They're gonna be fighting. <laughs> Evan Bland with us from the Omaha World Herald. Uh, Evan, I'm gonna flip around that original question and, and take a look here at Nebraska. We've seen them once, and, and I think there was a, a lot of learning to be done, not only within the team but within the coaching staff as well, uh, about what th- this team even is this season. So I, I want you to start this off. What's a, a problem that you think we saw last week that uh, should be an easy fix for this this coaching staff and for this team, and you think it is going to be less of an issue on Saturday? Well, that's a good that's a good question. I mean, I, to me, the big two concerns were the line of scrimmage both ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nebraska struggled to get the running game going. They had two explosive runs. The Anthony Grant, Grant touchdown obviously was the highlight, but they had a hard time uh, getting that thing going. And then on the other side, uh, you know, just the way Northwestern was scheming things up, it was proved difficult for Nebraska to, to slow the run. They didn't get any quarterback pressures in that game, which is concerning as well. I mean, you can kind of make the case either way. You can say on the offensive side that, hey, as this running back rotation settles in, as this offensive line gets used to playing with each other, uh, maybe that translates into a, a better ground game. I think on the other side, you can say that if there has been a strong internal belief all off season that Nebraska's edge rushers indeed might be the deepest position group on that team, then maybe that starts to show up against teams that are going to take more chances than Northwestern did, right? Northwestern played for field goals. They would, they would run it on third and long on multiple occasions. So you would think that when teams maybe take more of a chance, um, that, that that pass rush would, would sort of assert itself into the game. So I think that's probably where, where I would come down is uh, defensively. Um, you know, that's the side of the ball that has the continuity. That's the side of the ball that has um, some of the best leaders on the team. So it just it, it seems from my perspective that, again, if you're talking about North Dakota or Georgia Southern or even Oklahoma, which likes to pass it around, uh, that those are the sort of teams that this defense might be best suited to stop, again, because of their their – ability to rush the passer, at least what we saw um, during the during the offseason and in fall camp. So I, I think that's probably where it'll be. I, I do. I mean, I would be would be uh, dishonest to say that I wouldn't be concerned uh, about both sides of those things, because, you know, you hear players and coaches in the last couple of days. The, the issue wasn't effort, right? The, effort, the, the issue was blown assignments. The issue was things that are uh, maybe harder to correct during the season. You know, there was, there was a lot of talk about missed tackles specifically. Um, you know, how do you correct that in the season? It's hard to do. You don't want to put your, your top offensive guys at risk and, and so on and so forth. So some of those things uh, need to be corrected in the game. You can only do so much preparation in the week leading up to it. You have to do it or, or, or not, right? So um, I think there's a lot of concern 
that was that was revealed uh, on both sides of the ball. But I, I would say again, the defense has more of a track record. Uh, that it can be a little bit better, certainly, than what we saw Saturday. Yeah, Evan, I'm with you whenever you mention the fact that I mean, we had Schneider get up there today and say, I don't think that the defense struggled because of a lack of effort, and then my mind immediately goes to, well, that means it's a, it's a lack of technique, it's, it's a lack of physicality, because um, Northwestern came in and out physical this Nebraska football team, so if it's not effort, then it's, it's got to be something else that's less fixable. So did, did your warning bells go off when you heard that as well? Yeah, I mean, again, like, I think one of the questions going into the season was how do so many new faces, both coaches and players, come together quickly? And I think we saw some examples of that, uh, at least on the, from a player perspective, in on the defensive side, because you go back and you look at who got the bulk of playing time, especially on that defensive line. And, you know, I think Ty Robinson had like 71 snaps. But you go, you go from there, you see Stephon Wynn, Devin Drew, who were your big two off-season transfer ads. Those guys had like 20-some snaps each. And so I think part of the takeaway in, in hearing from Scott Frost and Eric Chenander was uh, this idea that, you know, you're, you're probably going to have to rotate those guys more. You, you needed sort of a, a game, a, some live action, to really see what some of these guys were made of. And, and, and to their credit, uh, you know, coaches have said that those guys earned more snaps, you know, moving moving forward into the future here. So I think that's part of it, too, is you're still, even though you've had an off season and you've had fall camp, you're still sort of figuring out who you can trust, who uh, is reliable in a game setting. Devin Drew is an example of a guy who's still getting up to speed after he arrived late in camp. So, um, you know, I, I do think there's definitely room to to sort of project better things for this defense just because these coaches and 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 personnel are still figuring things out and and if that old saying that the team improves most from its first game to its second is true uh, it feels like it might be all the more true again with so many new faces that are getting integrated into this thing talking with evan bland here of the omaha world here you can find him and follow him on twitter at evan bland o w h and evan Probably last thought here uh, before we get you out and really appreciate your time here. Which side of the ball do you think has more to prove in this game on Saturday? The defense, obviously Saturday was not up to their standards, and they're going to look to make that thing right. But the offense, it feels like, had more quick fixes potentially to, to get the, the offense in rhythm and uh, to go be able to perform down the stretch of a football game. So which side of the ball do you think is going to come into this wanting to prove more to, to not only the fans but uh, to the rest of college football as well? Uh, I think it's got to be the defense. I mean, that's the side that has the the veteran vocal leaders. That's the side that has sort of the the systemic continuity in coaching and, and in system and scheme. Uh, and they they were not happy with how things went. I mean, Caleb Tanner, you heard from him earlier in the week. Uh, you know, he said of the he's been involved in all thirty of Nebraska's losses under Scott Frost. He said this was one of the hardest ones to to absorb. Um, just because of what he saw in the off season, what he felt like this team could be and still can be, and so to to not again pr- put any pressure on Northwestern's quarterback uh, that that didn't sit well with them. Um, you know, to not really be much of a factor uh, as a defense in terms of getting takeaways didn't sit well. And so yeah, I, I just think that's the side of the ball that they just you know they didn't do what they felt like they could do. Whereas on the offensive side. Um, you know, certainly the fourth quarter was not what they were looking for over threes on third downs with a couple interceptions, but you could see 
what that can be. I mean, you, you, you saw what Casey Thompson could do. You saw glimpses of, of what these transfer receivers can do, what Travis Volklet can be. Um, you know, the, the running game certainly can, can improve, but you saw little, little flashes of, of what Anthony Grant can do. To me, uh, on the defensive side, there's just not a lot to hang your hat on from that first week, and especially when you think going into the season that, that Nebraska might have had to rely on these black shirts, um, and then to see that script flipped so quickly, I just think uh, those guys certainly believe that they have a much higher ceiling and have a lot to prove moving forward. Evan, I know I said last stop, but I do have one more for you here, actually, because I, I want to flip to that offensive side of the ball. What's your concern level between A, the, the drops from the receivers, and B, the lack of push from the offensive line? Because both things really hindered that Nebraska offense on Saturday, and uh, the offensive line, the, the, the push in the running game, opening up holes has been an issue for a couple of years now. And uh, you could probably say the same thing for the receivers with uh, lack of being able to get open and, and drops when they finally do get open. So which of those do you think is a, is a bigger concern in your eyes as you look ahead to these next two football games? Oh, definitely the offensive line. I mean, it, you know, the drops were were unfortunate and they, they fizzled some drives for Nebraska, but you know, a lot of those guys were playing their first, either their first major college football game or their first game at Nebraska. You can kind of see, you know, how that could happen in game one. You you probably wouldn't expect that to continue. But, you know, the offensive line, that was the big question mark most of the offseason. And I think the, the opener didn't do a lot to sort of change that narrative. And so, you know, you talk about getting the ground game going, some of that's Nebraska's running backs sort of finding a pecking order and, and getting the hot hand, but certainly a lot of that too is going to be uh, how that if the, and how and if that line can generate a push. And it's not necessarily a young line, um, but it's not really an experienced line either. I mean, you have guys that are that have been in the program for a number of years that are uh, being elevated into new and, and bigger roles than they've had. And so it remains to be seen, uh, you know, how this group can gel. Uh, I think it remains to be seen how committed Nebraska wants to be to the running game. I mean, what the, the style of offense that we saw was very much what Pitt ran under Mark Whipple last year, West Coast, pass heavy. Um, you know, Casey Thompson throws it more than 40 times in a game that Nebraska led for much of that game. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot for that line to prove that it can get that push. Um, you know, that's where the sort of the, the creativity comments from Scott Frost came from, that Nebraska can – uh, it needs to scheme up more creative ways to get its running backs the ball and, and to allow them to make plays. And, and again, a lot of that leads over into everything else. If you can't generate a push, then you might have a lot of three and outs and quick possessions, and then that keeps your defense on the field like we saw for you know 80-plus plays uh, in the opener, and that's part of the reason they looked so gassed. So um, you know how the O-line goes it doesn't just affect the offense. It's going to affect a lot of things, and there's no doubt that those guys uh, you know, have a lot to prove here moving forward. Evan Bland with us here from the Omaha World Herald. Again, find him on Twitter at Evan Bland O-W-H. And Evan, really appreciate your time here on a Wednesday afternoon. We'll get caught up with you next week. But until then, uh, enjoy yourself tonight and uh, enjoy the game on Saturday, okay? Appreciate it, Elijah. Thanks. Yeah. 
Hello, listener. Hey, it's Chris Schmidt with Hale Varsity Radio, and I wanted to let you know about a special deal just for listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast. We're offering $10 off the annual subscription price. That means that you can get everything we do. 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe and enter in the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hail Varsity. That's HailVarsity.com backslash subscribe promo code GBR. Chime in 402-466-ESPN or email the show Chris at HailVarsity.com. Just try me. Try me. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Rolling through a Wednesday edition of Hale Varsity Radio. We are presented by the Nebraska Lottery, Elijah Herbal and Connor Clark. And as you just heard the intro say, open phone lines here for about the next 15 minutes. As uh, you can give us a call, 402-466-3776. That's uh, 402-466-3776. Also, 800-825-5865. Give us a tweet at Herbal Essences for me. No underscores, no nothing. Herbal spelled H-E-R-B-E-L Essences. Yes, that is in reference to the hair care company. Uh, yes, I also made that when I was in like fifth grade and I've stuck with it because people know me by it now. So uh, that's where you find me on Twitter. You can find Connor Clark at C underscore Clark underscore 27. I nailed the underscores there as Connor gives me a big old thumbs up. And you can also find and follow the show as a whole on Twitter at HVarsityRadio. You can give us a tweet, and uh, we'd love to get those on the air. We got a tweet in earlier uh, in the show from Brennan. Haven't got the chance to get to it just yet, uh, but uh, he was uh, talking to us in reference to what we led the show off with, Dan Patrick's alleged source telling him that Urban Meyer is allegedly a candidate for Nebraska whenever Nebraska, last I checked, still has a head football coach. So uh, take that what you will, and uh, what I'm taking from that is – well, I'm taking it with a grain of salt is what I'll say uh, that uh, I, I don't quite believe what Dan Patrick is putting down there. But you got to drive in the listeners somehow, Dan Patrick. I get it. Whether or not that is just throwing out complete hypotheticals is one thing. And uh, that's what I think he's doing there. But Brennan tweets in, if I'm Trev Alberts, I'd rather slam my head in a car door than hire Urban Meyer. So straight into the point from Brennan. Yeah, there's baggage. There's baggage there, and there's a lot of jokes I could make on the air. I'm going to refrain from doing so, but uh, there's many a joke. You can uh, fill in the blanks with your own joke from wherever you are listening today. Uh, Where I want to go with this segment, though, and as I said, open phone lines. We can get into what you guys want to get into as we do do this show for you, but I want to get into uh, Eric Chenander's post-practice media availability today as I didn't say anything truly uh, shocking, anything that was uh, truly divinely sounding uh, inspired. It didn't sound like it was divinely inspired, I should say. Uh, it was really the obvious. And Connor, did you get a chance to listen to what Shenander had to say today? Well, during the break while we were off, I heard a soundbite about him talking about Nick Henrich just in general um, and how he thought he played really, really well. And I'm not singling out Nick Henrich here at all, but it seemed like he was a little bit more pleased with the defense than the rest of us were, which is fine. He's the defensive coordinator. He coached a really good defense last year. It's not going to be all sunshines and rainbows during the first game of the year. I get that. But at the same time, it was like, okay, what were you seeing on the sideline that we weren't on the TV screen or in the stands or wherever you were watching from? 
that was a little, I don't want to say concerning, but it was just kind of weird to hear his point of view be so much different than the fans, the media, everybody else's point of view. And I really like Eric Schneider. I think he's a great coach. Uh, but that was the one thing that stuck out to me. I haven't listened to too much else of it, but that was a clip that I, I saw on Twitter mm-hmm. and I listened to it. It stuck out to me. Um, but that was like the really only stuck, like the answer that stuck out the most. Well, the answer I'm paraphrasing for him was that Nick uh, missed tackles weren't an issue for him on Saturday. Yeah, he said I, that I he didn't see a, a single one from Nick. Yeah. Um, that's looking back on a game with rose-tinted glasses, I think. And he, he did, definitely didn't sugarcoat it. We can get into that here in just a right. second. Where he, he didn't sugarcoat it. He said Saturday is not good enough. Actually, let, let's hear that right now. He definitely didn't sugarcoat the performance on Saturday. But I think he thought there was more positives to take away from it than a lot of Husker Nation. But here's uh, Eric Shander talking about Saturday's performance from the defense. Definitely uh, not up to our standard at all. Uh, the things that I don't need to fix. Kids played really hard. Uh, really good effort out there. Uh, a few missed tackles that we need to clean up. Tackled pretty well for the game, but a few missed ones that cost cost us some yardage. A couple, uh, you know, missed assignments, mental errors, whatever. Uh, all levels of the defense throughout the game that cost us uh, some yardage once again. And those are the things that I have to clean up. Uh, that's on me to get fixed, and I, I will get those fixed. Uh, other things that are concerning is, you know, we take great pride on this unit at putting the fire out. Uh, when we get put in an unfavorable uh, situation, we fix it. That's life. That happens in football. It's nobody's fault. We need to fix it. We need to put out the fire, and we did not do that this week, and that's got to improve. So I think those are the things that we can we can get corrected going into this game. So I don't think there's any case of sugarcoating the defense's performance there on Saturday, but do you agree with my assessment that there are some rose-tinted glasses there with how he's looking back on the defensive performance on Saturday? He said a few missed tackles. Yeah, a few missed tackles in the effort thing. Obviously, it was good. I mean, there was effort there. Obviously, you can tell the guys were trying. Obviously, but, but they they lost their juice. As yeah, the game went they, on. they did. And the one thing that really concerns me too was the lack of push by the defensive line because there's only there's one of two ways that this could go: the scheme that they were running just wasn't working, or B, they just couldn't physically get past that Northwestern line. And give Northwestern's line credit. Because they look bigger and better than they have in years past, especially at Northwestern. But if it's a physicality thing that they couldn't get through that O-line of of the Cats, that's a concerning point to me. Now, schematically, if you didn't run that very well in Ireland, you can clean that up, obviously. You can look at film, you can practice that, do whatever. But if it's a physicality thing and you just can't fight through offensive linemen, that's going to be a huge problem for this defense going forward so I hope it's not that well one thing he pointed to in the way the defense waned late I mean it was very much a case of Northwestern's three four yard runs early in the game were turning into 10 15 20 yard runs late in the game and one thing he pointed to was a lack of rotation and uh, it wasn't a point the finger it wasn't a we're not deep enough in the interior defensive line it was a it was a point the thumb you know, you've heard that one before. He pointed the thumb himself saying yeah. that's something I got to do better at getting better rotation. Be thumb pointers. We'll, we'll hear from Eric Chenander here, but that's something that remains to be seen, I think, as the season goes on. Uh, is you, you can't say after one game that the lack of rotation was because they're too thin there at defensive line. He pointed the thumb at himself, and I think that's what a good coach would do in this situation. But uh, Chenander hitting on that lack of rotation. You know, once again, my issue a little bit. Um, you know, we had a good plan about how much to play guys. Now the game ended up going 85 snaps. Um, you know, without reviewing the film, you don't know exactly how those other guys played. Watching the film, 
they played very well. Um, so we need to probably rotate those guys in a little more, like you said, keep those other guys a little fresher. But I think that, you know, after watching them play a game, <clears throat> excuse me, they've gained a lot of trust in the coaching staff uh, to go in and take more reps. And that's what he's saying there is going into this game, I, I think reading in between the lines, they're saying, I'm worried about depth. You don't know what those guys are, are going to be putting on the field until you go back and can individually watch them on tape. And I think he's saying, yeah, we, we wanted our starting guys to, to get more snaps than you would have been accustomed to with the rotation last season. But now upon watching guys like Devin Drew and, and Stefan win, uh, there is more confidence from the coaching staff that these guys can go in and perform. And we're going to try to get them rotated in more moving forward. And that that's what I took away from that reading in between the lines, that there was depth concerns, especially from him and uh, probably from Dawson as well, with how much are, are these guys going to be able to come in and, and fill the, the shoes of the guys ahead of them with not much drop off and maybe more confidence in that later. But by the end of the game, the, the rotation was definitely an issue where guys like Ty Robinson and Colton Feast were looking gassed and they were getting washed in their double teams. Yeah, and there's going to be guys that are going to have to step up, transfer or not. And when you get in the game, your number's going to get called and you're going to be expected to make big plays. And you mentioned guys getting tired towards the end of the game, whether that's mentally or physically, whatever the case may be. You can't let, especially a Big Ten team, run the ball 15 straight times in that fourth quarter and really just put the game away on the ground. That's not going to fly in this conference. So whether it's a backup, a third string, a walk-on, a transfer, whatever, black shirt or not, your number's going to get called. And when you are thrown out into that field, you need to make plays, and that's what you're going to be expected to do. And this D-line, it has bodies. It's not like that. they don't have the talent, they don't have the skill, and they have plenty of bodies there. It's just a matter of, okay, how can we strategically use these guys and how can we make them more successful? Well, and Coach Shenander's been great at putting guys in positions to be successful. Well, I think that's the hope from Husker Nation, that it isn't a lack of skill uh, with lack of rotation, that it is, um, well, now we trust these guys, let's get them on the field. That's the hope for Husker Nation because that, that's going to be the fix to this issue moving forward because that defensive line did look tired. Uh, along with the defensive line issues with the, the pass rush, uh, Shenander hitting on what they struggled with on Saturday, and how they want to fix that moving forward. We'll get to tackling here in just a second, but let's keep it with the defensive line and what, what they want to do with their pass rush moving forward. You know, it's always huge. I think, you know, hats off to Northwestern. It's a good football team. They had a good plan. You know, they chipped the defensive ends a lot. They got the ball out of the kids' hands a lot. Um, so they had a good plan going in um, to take care of that four-man rush. Um, but it's, it's, it's going to be huge for us to get that thing, get that thing going. Um, you know, on defense, you also have to earn the right thrush passer, right? You've got to get those people in third and sevens, third and eights, third and nine plus, you know, to earn the right to really pin your ears back and go. And we did that some, but we didn't do it enough. So uh, nothing world shattering there from Eric Schneider <laughs> about how they develop a better pass rush. Well, it's Northwestern schemed it well, and we need to make more plays to put ourselves in better downs and distance coach to, to get after the passer. Very much coach speak. Um, no quick fixes there, and uh, it sounds like no quick fixes to, to tackling issues we saw on Saturday either. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a hard uh, it's a hard thing to handle because you know it's uh, you, you can't tackle and you can't recreate those open space tackles a lot you know in college football and practice unless you're going to go tackle uh, the ones and you know I think we'd all feel uh, terrible if one of our starting 
receivers, running backs, quarterback, whatever, got got hurt during that. So we've got to do a great job uh, with drills, which, you know, I think we, we have some great drills. And uh, like I said, the tackling was pretty good, all but a couple open space ones. Uh, one, you know, one I can think of offhand, and there was a few. One got missed with wrong leverage. One got missed with right leverage, and, and we just didn't get there fast enough uh, with the rest of the posse. Uh, so we're, we're going to really break down the film and talk about technique and drill that technique without being able to get those hits live. It sounds like to me that Chandler is kind of echoing something we heard from Kaz yesterday, which is you fix open field tackling by getting more guys around the ball. Uh, if, if you're one-on-one against a, a ball carrier in the Big Ten, you're going to struggle. It's, it's athlete against athlete, but uh, that's a, a tough play to make one-on-one, and, and you can fix that quickly by getting more bodies around the ball. And, and tackling is not one of those things that is an overnight fix, uh, but that is, is something you can do to curtail some of those issues. Last thought here from Chenander before we get out here uh, and get to our Jock Doc segment, uh, but uh, why Chenander is optimistic about this defense moving forward. The guys did not respond poorly at all. The guys helped the young guys that made, made some mistakes out there. We got it cleaned up. Uh, the good thing is I didn't see panic. I didn't see um, guys going sideways. We, we stuck together, and, and that's why I still think we have a very good football team. I think we have a very good defense. I'm very confident we'll get things cleaned up, and we'll continue to get better and better every week. And you got a, a big test, Connor, on, on Saturday uh, to prove that you took those lessons from a, a tough performance against Northwestern and you applied them because the, the weeks are, are, are counting down. At the end of the day, we can talk about, yeah, you can't overlook North Dakota and Georgia Southern, but these are put into your schedule in order to get you geared up. It's in order to take those lessons from Northwestern and get those things fixed before Northwest, or excuse me, before Oklahoma comes to town. Yeah, it's going to be two tough games, two important games. Let's see if the defense and offensive can, units can improve in, in their own areas. And I'm, I'm sure we'll hit on that some more tomorrow, but coming up after the break, Dr. Brandon Seifert, Nebraska Orthopedic Center, a Jock Doc Wednesday. That's next. Each year, approximately 5,000 children are diagnosed with brain cancer. Of those children, nearly 30% will not survive, and many of those that do are left with debilitating side effects for life. We're asking you to help by tuning in to the 10th Annual Team Jack Foundation Radiothon presented by the Home Agency on September 29th. Become a champion for a cure for just $20 a month. Visit teamjackfoundation.org to learn more. Thank you for helping us fight for a cure. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back in on a Wednesday edition of Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. It's time for a Jock Doc Wednesday as we get caught up with Dr. Brandon Seifert, Nebraska Orthopedic Center. And Dr. Brandon, this, I know this isn't a Husker Talk segment, but I, I, I got to go there just briefly encouraged or discouraged about this team's ability to bounce back? And, and if you don't want to answer the question, you don't have to, but I had to start there. <laughs> Great question. Put me on the spot. Uh, no, I'm, I'm excited about them. I, I think okay. they got a chance to turn things around and you've got a home game coming up. I think they're going to turn the ship around. And I saw some really good things out there. Just kind of struggled that kind of last quarter for sure. But I think we can get the ship right in. I think they'll be ready to roll here soon. Well, sorry to put you on the spot like that, but uh, let's get right into our Jock Doc Wednesday segment today, talking Washington Commanders running back Brian Robinson. I know at one point today I'm probably going to call them the Washington football team, so I'm going to prematurely put a quarter in the swear jar for that reason. But (laughs) Brian Robinson, a a crazy story. Uh, Lucky to be alive, really, as he was shot twice during an attempted robbery on Sunday. Uh, He was uh, actually already released from the hospital on Monday, and it sounds like a positive prognosis. And Dr. Brendan, I I don't think that you're you're an expert in gunshot wounds, but what was your reaction to this story? 
you know, this crazy story, a poor guy, just I think about just unfortunately all the rising rates of crime around our country and everything that's involved in that, but poor guy. So you know, very fortunate, obviously, with, with gunshots to, to be upright and back moving around and not having something more significant happen. Um, I definitely wouldn't call myself an expert in gunshots. However, where, where I trained at, big city, we, we took care of a lot of kind of gunshots, unfortunately, back in the day. Um, during my training, so I've had a lot of extensive experience with that. Uh, fortunately, don't have to see a lot of that now. Um, but you know, definitely things that result in a variety of trauma, um, kind of either on kind of a mild scale, um, moving all the way up to really kind of devastating type of injuries. The the trauma that can happen to soft tissue, whether it's muscle, bone, from uh, gunshots, can really be devastating, kind of long term. Yeah, and with with Brian Robinson, as you said, lucky to be alive, but we do have to get into this recovery timetable process because my fantasy draft is on Sunday, and i got to decide whether this guy's on on my do-not-draft list. Only half kidding. Um, But uh, he was shot twice, both in the lower body, and it sounds like the the more serious of the two gunshot wounds was one that was near the knee, uh, but uh, NFL Network insider Mike Garofalo reporting that the, the bullet that hit near his knee apparently missed all major parts, that's ligaments, tendons, and bones, did not create massive damage, and that's one of the reasons he's already been released from the hospital, and he was back at the, at the Washington team facility yesterday, so uh, with the gunshot wound, I mean, you, you think of there being massive damage and, and kind of that collateral, even if the bullet doesn't strike an area uh, that it can still cause some damage around, so uh, what is, is your reaction to a bullet going pretty close to the knee and what that can do to uh, an athlete's career yeah you know great question Um, obviously there's a ton of things around the knee that can become a big issue you alluded to some of those Um, you know as we kind of review anatomically with the knee there's obviously ligaments that surround it obviously there's the bony part of it Um, but even something even more generically is you know just having some foreign body we'll consider obviously a bullet a foreign body any kind of foreign body that goes through the knee joint itself you know, the knee joint itself, all of our joints are kind of, they're sterile compartments. Um, and so when you take a foreign debris outside the body and it goes, travels through that area, um, then what happens is your risk of infection goes up significantly. And so in this scenario and in scenarios I've obviously seen in the past with significant gunshots, is um, if, if there's any question that a bullet has gone near a joint, you're going to go in and explore that area and make sure either, A, did it go in or not? There's some things you can do to explore that, to assess for that. Um, and if it did... Well, there's a big suspicion for it, then you have to basically open up that joint and wash it out, clean it out, make sure all that debris is out of there so you can avoid, you know, long-term infection issues. Um, and so that'd be one of the big things to worry about. That's probably the most common thing we worry about <clears throat> with any type of uh, gunshot type of wound. Uh, but again, you know, fortunately for him, no issues into those major kind of soft tissue structures. I would say, you know, again, with the experience I had where I trained at in a, in a big city, seeing lots of gunshots, I am amazed how many times folks will come in with gunshots and it literally just kind of passed through the muscle and, and kind of missed all the you know, huge kind of vital structures and, and how fortunate some people can be. Well, it sounds like that's the case here, Dr. Brandon, as uh, just going through some muscle, but e- even that can cause some damage. Uh, what does that recovery look like? I know that the uh, the Washington fo- the Washington Commanders, excuse me, there's the one in the swear jar, um, but the, the Washington Commanders uh, haven't placed him on injured reserve, and he's already a part of the 53-man roster, meaning uh, they expect this to be a, a quick turnaround for Brian Robinson. Uh, what, what does that recovery from a, a bullet going through some muscle look like for an athlete? Yeah, you know, in some ways you can consider it almost kind of like a sprain, a bad sprain, a bad pulled muscle, if you will. So you have some muscular trauma, which is kind of similar to having trauma where you pull the muscle apart, uh, a soft tissue incident like a 
like gunshot wound can cause that. So you basically put them back on a you know pretty speedy recovery program of hitting the rehab hard, range of motion, strengthening, getting them back out on the field. The big issue there is always wanting that you know wound to heal. Uh, you don't want to push them too hard where they're kind of sweating over a place where the you know entrance and exit wound was. Um, or any type of surgery was until that incision heals up well. Otherwise, you put them at risk for infection. So that usually is kind of the biggest limiter, at least initially, in terms of how aggressive you can be with rehab. Making sure you don't push them too hard or they're sweating over you know, a fresh incision or fresh wound. But once that heals up well, then I think he can be, you know, I bet they'll be pretty aggressive with him in the next three to four weeks in terms of getting back to rehab and pushing him to a return-to-play program. Um, he probably could be back in four to six weeks, at least based upon what they're telling us with this. Uh, severity of his injuries not being that significant, he might be back on the field before six weeks. And what about any long-term potential, maybe career shorteners to, to this? Is, is this really something where after four to six weeks, it, it pretty much is back to, to life uh, or normal life, I should say, maybe with a scar on your lower body? Or, or are there potential factors that could pr- crop up five, ten years down the road after a type of injury like this? Yeah, you know, I think what we'll probably see with him is in the first year, we're going to see if there's going to be some long-term issues that show up, um, obviously depending on how much muscular trauma was there. And then the issue there becomes, depending on that amount of muscular trauma, how much that impacts like his speed, cutting, you know, kind of explosiveness type, explosiveness you know, type of deals. Um, and so that will be what we have to find out over the next year. Uh, but really, if it's just more muscular soft tissue trauma, I think there's a good chance that it may not have a big long-term impact for him. And again, hopefully that early return is possible. And, and Dr. Brandon, uh, last thought here on Brian Robinson. W- would you prefer being a doctor seeing gunshot wounds to the legs as opposed to the, the torso or arms? Well, what, what does that look like, or is there any real difference? Yeah, that's a tough, that's a tough call. You know, you'd preferably, if you had to pick a spot, would be somewhere where there's you know, a decent amount of kind of muscular soft tissue coverage in that area. Um, Obviously, the worst place to have it would be in a tight spot where there's, you know, kind of nerve issues. If you hit a nerve, that's that's a huge issue. Hard to, you know, basically repair those and get the function back that you want, even with the repair. Versus, you know, if it's in the bone, you can fix the bone, put plates over the bone, put it back together fairly well. Um, in the muscles, it just needs time to kind of heal. Obviously, if it's more like ligamentous trauma from a bullet, that can be pretty devastating. Uh, just because the the trauma there that occurs from you know, a, a bullet versus like a stretch type of injury is so much more pronounced when it's you know coming from a bullet that it's harder to fix that. It causes more kind of surrounding damage as it imparts that kinetic injury, energy on the surrounding structures. All right, Dr. Brandon, uh, Nebraska Orthopedic Center, a jock doc Wednesday. Dr. Brandon, to wrap here, is it a risk to re- draft Brian Robinson on my fantasy team? I got to go there. I'd go for it. Go for I think it. I'd take him. Okay. I'd go for it. He's signed, sealed, and approved by a doctor. One out of one doctor that we uh, talked to recommends drafting Brian Robinson. So I'll go with that. Dr. Brandon, <laughs> thanks for your time today. We'll get caught up next week, all right? Okay, buddy. You guys take care. Thanks again. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Wrapping up a Wednesday edition of Hail Varsity Radio, we are presented by the Nebraska Lottery, Elijah Herbal and Connor Clark taking you through this final segment of the show today. A little bit TBD what the plan is tomorrow. We'll see how Schmitty 
feels whenever he wakes up tomorrow. But the uh, plan as of right now, I believe, is that Schmidt will be back with us on Friday as uh, we wish him good health. Uh, coming back from Ireland, and uh, he has been hit with the double whammy, the jet lag, and the sickness. So uh, excited for Schmitty to come back. It's uh, been, quick math here, over a week since his last time being in studio. So it's a, a long vacation for Schmitty, even though he's been working while on vacation. That's a longer one than we expect from him. So enjoy the day off, Schmitty. If uh, you need another day tomorrow, uh, enjoy that as well. We will talk to you whenever you're feeling a little bit better. Uh, but uh, before we wrap here, just a quick reminder of uh, where you can find this show in podcast form. If you're listening on the radio right now and you go, man, I missed one hour and 54 minutes of this show. How do I get the rest of it? Uh, ESPN Lincoln's Twitter and Facebook is a great place to go check as we'll have individual interviews posted up there. If you want to catch the full podcast, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the Hail Varsity YouTube page are your best bet as all those will have the full show. And uh, the big plus of the Hail Varsity YouTube page is you get to see our beautiful faces. We had some webcam issues yesterday, and by webcam issues, I mean we only had one, so it didn't work uh, out great to do a full show yesterday in video format. Uh, but today, the full show has been recorded, and it'll be posted up on YouTube somewhere around 8.30 tonight as uh, we'd uh, love to get your feedback in the Hail Varsity YouTube page comment section or uh, leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And last great way of getting the show is asking Alexa, hey, Alexa, play Hail Varsity Radio. So if uh, you're listening in this uh, or to this show today uh, in a room with an Alexa, I apologize for uh, sending her it, whatever it is, haywire, but uh, that's where you connect with the show. Last thought here, uh, Connor, before we get out, is I do want to get one last thought in from Chenander. We ran out of time for this last segment, but do want to sneak it in before the end of the show. He uh, previewed what North Dakota is going to be bringing on Saturday as I kind of gave Nebraska media some insight into what he thinks uh, this North Dakota offense is going to look like. You never really know in game one of a season. There there are going to be some mysteries, I'm sure, on Saturday. But Chenander, with his preview of North Dakota. We'll have our hands full with North Dakota. That's a really good football team. Uh, they play extremely hard. Uh, you know, I, I've played them before at uh, Northern Iowa, and I've seen just how they come in for, for a game like this. Uh, you know, we're going to see a lot of different stuff. You know, if you go back and watch Utah State from last year, uh, there, there's a lot of stuff coming at us. Uh, so the guys got to be ready for that. They've got a quarterback that's a gamer. Um, you know, he just he has a knack of making plays. We've got a couple wide receivers back. Number four is a really good football player. A uh, couple good offensive linemen. I know they got a transfer junior college that we haven't seen on tape that they're talking highly about. So th- there's a lot of good football players, a well-coached football team. Scheme-wise, they got a lot of different stuff going on in every different personnel grouping. So it's going to be a good football game, and it's going to be a good test for our defenders to get their eyes where they're supposed to be and get their job done. That's Coach Eric Chenander previewing North Dakota. We'll do a little bit more preview tomorrow. As uh, Connor, you got class? I do. Until mm. 4.45. Media ethics. Be there, be square. Well, it's uh, important to learn ethics, even though that's a, a real gray area. Uh, but <laughs> I digress. Uh, we'll be back with you tomorrow, 4 to 6, Hail Varsity Radio. Uh, me, maybe Chris, maybe Will Wilson, maybe Connor. Check in. We'll see you. That's when we'll talk to you again, though. A Huda Media Production.